you're listening to episode 366 of the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu. This is a series in which, uh, at least for now, we're looking at every single package that gets installed with Slackware Linux. Don't worry if you're not running Slackware Linux, you probably have access to these packages elsewhere through your package manager if you are running Linux, through the ports tree if you're running BSD, and just looking it up online if you're on any other system. This is a tour of literally everything installed. So, well, I guess not literally, because I, I skip over compiled libraries and documentation files and such, but all of the executables that get installed, that's what we're looking at. And you'll be surprised at how much you learn, I think, when you do that. At least that's what I've been finding. I mean, I would have never looked at half the things that I've looked at in the past year if it hadn't been for uh, this goal to get through every single one. So journey along with me won't you today is today we're, we're on the ap package set and we have been for a while and the next one in the list alphabetically is libx86 libx86 uh the the installation manifest here is well it's just about like eight things i mean and and only two of those are actually part of the package so there's the libx86.h and lib x86 the compiled library now if you're new to this kind of stuff and you may or may not be x86 is kind of this sort of generic term that sprang eventually from the series of of early desktop computers or you know personal computers or microcomputers as they used to be called including things like 286 386 and 486 those are the only ones i personally know of and there are probably a lot of people out there who know a lot more about that stuff than i do i never had any of those computers but it all started with the intel 8086 8086 series of uh, micro or i guess would it be a microprocessor or i guess maybe a cpu I don't know. The, yeah, I think I think they would have called it a microprocessor, the Intel 8086. And this was like, you know, late 70s, early 80s time frame. So very, very early chip. And that eventually got um, rolled into more advanced processors and so on. So nowadays, on if you're on an Intel platform, libx86 would be would have access to low-level functions through what's called the VM86 interface. Which, if we do a, a man page for that, we should get something. So man VM86. So this is not part of this package. This is something that that is sort of um, referenced by libx86. So vm86, which is in the um, the programmer's man pages, so that's, if you just do man, man vm86, you'll find it. It is a, a header file, uh, vm86.h. A system call vm86 was introduced in Linux 0.97p2. How about that? In Linux 2.1.15 and 2.0.28, it was renamed vm86old, and a new vm86 was introduced. The definition of struct vm86 underscore struct was changed in 1.1.8 and 1.1.9. That doesn't really tell us anything. But the important thing to kind of know about this is that these are calls that use the virtual 8086, as Intel refers to it in their in their literature, uh, and and so it's it, it's accessing these old these old system calls from from really the 8086. Apparently, 
um, a big, big user of this is DOS Emu, and I don't know if that's a thing that I have. I, it's not something that I have, so I don't know what DOS Emu is. I mean, I can I can divine what it is from the name. It's probably a DOS emulator, but um, I, I don't have access to that on Slackware, at least by default, at least not so far as I can tell. Haven't really looked into it. And anyway, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about libx86. Libx86 unlocks access to to the same system calls through a compiled library and a header file located at slash user slash include slash libx86.h. You can look at it. It's not a long, it's not a very long document. You can also go to the homepage, codon.org.uk. That's C-O-D-O-N. There's no E in there. It's just C-O-D-O-N. So maybe it's codon, codon.org.uk slash tilde mjg59 slash libx86. It says that libx86 is built on LRMI and x86 emu, x86 emu being a generic x86 emulator, and LRMI being something else, and I'm, I'm honestly not sure what that is. I, I don't, uh, don't think, I, I, I guess I could look it up real quick. Man, oh, I can't. Man, LRMI comes up with nothing. But, um, yeah, you can, you can access the, the VM86 calls, the, the interface for VM86, or 86, uh, I think it's 86 emu, yeah, x86 emu, uh, you can, you can access that on, on Intel platform. What you're gonna do with that, I, I don't know. Um, there is some sample code on there, on, on this, on the homepage, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it creates a struct of the LRMI underscore reg, regist, well, R-E-G-S. I don't know how you would say that, so regs. Um, and then it, it reads, or it puts some, some, some numbers into uh, that struct, and then it makes a call to that struct through, through, um, through libx86. And like I say, if you look at x, libx86, you'll see that it kind of deals with uh, this LRMI, yeah, uh, LRMI underscore H, uh, and it, it creates a couple of, of struct LRMI underscore regs entries, such as an integer for EDI, integer ESI, and a bunch of short variables that I really don't even know what they're, well, ints and shorts, um, and I don't know what they're referring to at all. But it reads and writes from this from this place. It is essentially 16-bit computing sort of emulated or, um, or, or implemented on a, a much larger, <laughs> much more capable system. So that's libx86 anyway. Uh, it's a very small package. It's really just the header file and one shared object. That's it. Okay, so the next one up is Linux Doc-Tools. Now, Linux Doc-Tools is a, honestly one of my favorite favorite topics, and I feel like enough time has gone by now since I last spoke about this subject that probably it's it's fair for me to mention it again. And um, even if it's not fair game, it is the one, it's the topic at hand. It is the next package, and there's nothing I can do about that. So I will talk about this subject, and the subject very specifically is DocBook. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you'll have heard me talk about DocBook before, and I'm going to try not to, to go on too long about this, but I am a big fan of DocBook, and this is one of those things where the 
more I use DocBook, the more of a fan I become. And I have, on this very show, I have, I have strayed away, I've wandered away from DocBook time and time again. And I keep going back to it because it, it just, it proves itself to be the most reliable and enduring text formats. Its big, big downside is, oh man, its its downsides are that it is really, really verbose in terms of how you have to write a document and sort of what you get in your output for the expenditure of key presses. I've got to say, it's a real... <laughs> It is, you're breaking even. Like, you're, you're typing a heck of a lot of markup for DocBook. There's no question about it. And sometimes it is absolutely gratuitous. I'm talking about the word, so to, to delineate a, a paragraph, to, to, to sort of demarcate where a paragraph starts and ends. You may have seen this in other formats. For instance, in, um, well, in plain text, you usually, um, do a, carriage return or a, an end line character whatever you hit the enter key right and maybe you hit the enter key again that's it's pretty common these days i think the modern modern use case of paragraphs unlike the old days where they would just cram everything together um is to have that blank line between paragraphs so that's pretty common so to demarcate a paragraph you have a blank line from 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 the end of the paragraph a blank line and then the beginning of paragraph b sometimes you might indent it a little bit you might if you being fancy you might do a tab character to sort of really really highlight that we're going this is a new paragraph here well that seems pretty self-explanatory but you know how things are on computers and conversion and stuff it actually can be a little bit complex because what if that blank line doesn't indicate the start of a new paragraph and instead wants to indicate the start of a list an ordered list or a code block or something like that who knows crazy world nowadays it could be anything so in html for instance you start a paragraph with the P tag. You do a little angled bracket and the letter P and then the, another angled bracket and then you type your paragraph. And then to close off that paragraph, you do a, a close, a closed P tag. You close that tag. So you do an angle bracket, a, a forward slash P angle bracket. And that indicates that the paragraph has, has come to an end. That seems to work pretty pretty well um well in in docbook that's just not enough and to start a paragraph you do angle bracket para p-a-r-a close angle bracket type your paragraph and then angle bracket forward slash para angle bracket so something as simple and as common i dare say as a paragraph instead of three key presses four to close you're doing six to open and seven to close and that's just the para right i mean that that was the easiest that's that's the that's the least offensive one to embolden something to make something bold face you have to type out the word emphasis and oh wait that doesn't actually make it bold that actually italicizes it you're meant to specify what emphasis means in a style sheet somewhere but if you really want it to be bold no matter what you can do emphasis space role r-o-l-e equals quote bold close quote close angle angle bracket and you have to do that every time you want something to be bold i could go on and on ordered list itemized list 
list item. HTML uses a list item li. Docbook? That's not good enough for docbook. List item typed all the way out. So it's phenomenal. The, the verbosity of docbook is shocking. And the toolchain of docbook, it's just... It is it is intimidating to say the least. To get I mean to get DocBook into another format. Who knows what you're gonna need? You don't know. You have no idea. Well, I'll tell you. You need XSLT proc, and possibly that's it. You could also use XML too. Uh, and then to get it into other f certain formats, you may need something else, like some other tool, like I don't know, FOP to export to a PDF or or zip and determination uh, to transfer it to, to create an EPUB and so on. So uh, there's a tool chain that you ha kind of have to assemble yourself, kind of have to figure it out and assemble it yourself. So it can get complex, and I'm the first to admit that. Um, and, and I haven't even mentioned XSL yet, because, I mean, DocBook is just, it's XML is what it is. It's just raw XML. There's nothing really scary about it except that it's XML. So it's like HTML, but but obviously more verbose and a lot more flexible, XML. And then to get that into some other format, like I say, you need this toolchain, but the toolchain really only converts the text. If you want to, to style it in any way, you have to use a style sheet language, just as you would use CSS if you were styling your web page, your HTML web page, you use CSS. Well, for DocBook or for XML in general, uh, the the typical the, the typical thing to use for that is called XSL. And um, I mean, you can spend a year learning XML, and you'll know nothing about XSL yet. Well, you'll know a little bit. You'll know about namespaces and and elements and things like that. But I mean, you won't know how to use XSL. You'll just know that XML exists and that XSL is written in XML and is applied to XML. Uh, so then you would have to learn XSL, and that that's going to be a whole other year of your life, honestly, at at the very least. So it can be complex, is what I'm trying to say. Now, I have done episodes about this for Hacker Public Radio, and I, and I I invite you to listen to those shows if you want to learn more about DocBook, because uh, honestly, it is a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's not a terrible series of, of episodes, um, and there's one on XSL as well, so go listen to those. Um, you're going to look for episode 230. Uh, no, 2,372, 2,378, and then 2,425. Those are all really, really good. And you you can you can go further back in time to like episode 866 and hear about when I was messing around with Publican and uh, somewhere in the GNU World Order episodes, you'll, you could hear about me messing around with Sphinx, and you've heard me probably talk about Markdown before, so there's, there's, like I say, I'm not blindly allegiant to DocBook, and I've listed the two, well, the several, the several problems with DocBook, and I mean all of that from the bottom of my heart. Like, it is not an easy format to just stumble into, but it's an important format to know. And it used to be able, I used to be able to say, oh, you, you gotta use, you gotta know DocBook because it's the default for technical documentation. It's just, if you, if you want to contribute to documentation, which is a theoretically relatively easy way to contribute to open source, you just, you gotta know DocBook. So here's why I like DocBook. Here's why I keep falling back into DocBook. Number one is the explicitness of DocBook. I take great comfort in structure that 
is very explicit about its purpose um, and about its its syntax. If you look at a Markdown document, for instance, and you see something that looks like code but it got indented wrong, then it's it's very difficult to sort of know for sure whether that's supposed to be a code block or not. Or you see something with an asterisk near it, and you think, now is that the start of a bold or, or, or italics, whatever, or is that just an asterisk, and so on. In DocBook, you you never have that. You do not have that. You have you, you know exactly what you're getting because everything is labeled. And I like that. I don't necessarily love it on a daily basis. I don't use DocBook all the time. I use it on I use it a lot of the time. But yeah, sometimes I don't use DocBook. Sometimes I just use ASCII Doc or, or Markdown or whatever happens to be the correct tool for, for whatever I'm doing. But DocBook has that explicit syntax. It also has strict syntax. It is something that you can lint, L-I-N-T. If you write code into documents, then you may be familiar with the concept of linting. And when you run something through a linter, you are having the computer, the, the linter, the program, check for syntax. There are lots of linting programs out there for different programming languages and for different markup languages, including XML lint. You can feed XML lint a that's X-M-L-L-I-N-T, an XML document, and it will report any errors that it finds. If it finds errors, then when you, should you try to process that XML document, you can expect it to fail. That's the advantage of a lint, a linting program. It tells you if there are errors, and that's really, really useful. And I imagine it's got to be hard to, to do, to, to write, you know, because there's, there's a, a healthy amount of stuff out there that it's easy to miss. And because of that, we have things like, I don't know, HTML and Markdown and other things that fall prey to, for lack of a better term, quirks mode. When you when you, you feed broken HTML to a browser, a lot of times it will still render that page. When you feed broken Markdown to, I don't know, Pandoc or something, it will render that markdown into whatever you've told it to to produce and you know that's a that's a hard feature to to not like that's that's a great feature because you get to see you get to see most of what you thought you wanted and then you kind of see where it broke down possibly and and then and then you can go back and fix it but that is a very interactive process it's something where you the the workflow almost has to be that you do the processing and then you check your work and then you publish your processed document your rendered document and that's not always the way one wants to go about this this process sometimes what you would rather do is not have to check the work and just be alerted of failure before you send it through half a dozen processors and have it pushed to to production and so on and that's what what linting attempts to do it tries to warn you early that something is wrong and i mean i've i've had this on my own website for that for that matter. I mean, just something simple like, oh, I forgot to close a strong tag when I'm bolding something. So the rest of the page becomes bold or worse yet, so much becomes bold that other tags are eaten up sort of by the priority of the bold. And so other things are, are gone. They, they appear to be missing because they've been hidden inside of what is incorrectly interpreted as a very, very big bold declaration. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, I'll, 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 
run everything through my script and it'll post onto the internet and I won't notice until someone tells me that something's something's amiss. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to to dislike uh, a kind of a lazy uh, lazy syntax, but at the same time there are advantages to to enforcing certain standards. And that's what DocBook does really, really well. Well, to be fair, that's what XML does really, really well. XML is a pretty intolerant format, and that's aggravating. It really is. You know, you you just think, you know, you, you experience that error during the, the, the linting process or, or while you're processing, and you realize that something's gone wrong somewhere, and you don't know where, and you have to go hunt it down or what, whatever the problem is. But, I mean, it, it sure beats the end result of having had you know an error that you didn't notice until someone else notices in your in your in your work for i don't know you know days months whatever so i really appreciate that about docbook it is painful but i do appreciate it and those are i think those are the two really big reasons that i i prefer docbook i think um another reason used to be that it was a very f- um not flexible but a very uh, a very universal kind of foundation to start from. I I, I was found, finding that conversion into many many other formats was very easy with DocBook. But I think since since then I've I've kind of realized that you know technically speaking you can go from anything to anything else at, at this point. There there are just so many converters out there. It really doesn't. It kind of doesn't matter what format you start with, as long as it's you know a plain text format. Or when I say plain text, I mean it is it is something that doesn't require anything but a text editor to to process. You start from that something that a machine can parse and read. You start from something predictable, and chances are you can get from here to there pretty easily. But I do find with DocBook there's a high degree of reliability. Like you know what you're going to get with DocBook. I do not find that to be true with uh, several other formats just because either they aren't expecting to be destined for the media that you want to send it to or the processor that you're using imposes a bunch of weird styles that you didn't expect or there's a bunch of errors in your in in the in the document that you haven't been able to find and so you get surprised by something that you didn't expect and so on. DocBook removes a lot of that doubt for me. Um and I, I and I like that. I like that for archival purposes. I like to know that when I go back to something that I wrote three, five years ago or whatever, that its state will not have degraded at all. Not that other formats actually degrade by just sitting around on a on a drive, not not inherently at least, but in terms of sort of my expectation and the tool chain and the way that everything gets processed, there, that that hasn't that doesn't seem to waver and it it seems to be very very predictable and very reliable and i don't have to change a bunch of things very frequently it's it it tends to be a, a long term support type of thing uh, even when docbook 5 came out from you know after 4 as as you might expect it, it just didn't it, it's not like you had to change all of your you know all of your source it it was it was very much just a natural progression from one into the other and there were some major changes in DocBook 5. Not that not that I've ever seen, for instance, Markdown deprecate an old version of itself. I mean, that's, that hasn't been the case. But there are a lot of Markdown varieties, so there does tend to be some confusion over that. Whereas DocBook is just DocBook. I mean, if 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 you've changed or or, or taken away from DocBook, then it is no longer DocBook. You're not using DocBook. 
Docbook is Docbook, so there's no, there's not really any kind of confusion over well, what 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 uh, what variety of Docbook is this? As as with Markdown, where you've got Markdown and you've got Markdown GitHub extended, and you've got Common Mark, and you've got all these other things where no one really knows exactly which processor to throw this thing at, and who cares anyway because it'll just go into quirks mode, and and it'll do what it wants in the end. I don't really, I don't love that. I don't like it for the long term. I'm a big fan of DocBook, and now you know why. Now, Linux Doc Tools uses DocBook sort of. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple of generalizations here. It kind of uses DocBook as its back end, and for its front end, it uses ASCII Doc. Um, and I guess the probably the correct way to really say that would be that it uses ASCII Doc, which, by the way, renders to do- outputs DocBook as an intermediary step. And an even more correct way to say that is that this thing provides both ASCII doc and docbook, both of which are, are, are rather tightly bound to one another. So if you don't know what ASCII doc is, it is a vtext format that Linus Torvalds praised one th- that one time. He's, he said that uh, he quite liked ASCII doc, and I think, honestly, that seemed, at least for me, that it felt like that propelled it into... into uh, you know, an, a viable format. Not that it wasn't viable before he said that, but in terms of sort of the public perception of ASCII doc. And at first glance, and certainly this is what this is that this was my immediate reaction. At first glance, ASCII doc looks like a clunkier version of Markdown, um, which you know, so does RST, restructured text. You look at RST, you look at ASCII doc, you look at Markdown, and you think, you know what? I see what they were going for, but it, I think Markdown probably maybe got it the closest. And I think that's still generally true, uh, but I guess it's it's up for debate, I guess, because they, they all kind of have their, they all have their, well, their good points and their, their, they're not so good points, and it kind of depends on, I guess, what you're expecting out of your light, you know, almost no markup language. I mean, the goal of all of these is to look as little like it has been marked up as possible. That's that's the goal of, of a markdown language, is let's make it seem like people are just writing in plain text, but secretly they'll be using conventions that we've all agreed upon, such that when we run it through a special processor, those conventions will be detected, that syntax will be detected, and it can therefore be converted into some other format. Markdown was mostly, strangely, a a, a kind of a wrapper around HTML. Like, it's kind of weird to think that because HTML is such an easy language to write in the first place. But I think the fear was, and I'd have to go back and read the original blog post, which I don't really love anyway, so I'm not going to. But if I recall correctly, the fear was that, well, HTML, while being simple, it's still got a lot of markup in there. And it does. You know, if you look at, at HTML, there there can be quite a bit of markup, and it can be kind of clunky, and and it can be written such that it doesn't really flow well. It doesn't look like normal normal text. You know, it, it could be it could be all done on one line. The the tags can be all on one line after another. Or some people who are more used to sort of the the pretty print look, they they might go crazy and make those tags each on its own individual line and and so on. So you never know what you're going to get. And so the fear was that it wouldn't look to people like plain text, like normal, just easily parsed text. So Markdown 
was brought around to ensure that people could write documents that looked like they're just a plain old text file. Just something you opened up a text editor and just started typing your thoughts. That's Markdown. Now if you want to post it onto the internet, you can run it through markdown.pl or, or whatever the original program was called. I think it was markdown.pl. And it would, it would pick up all of these different conventions, such as one asterisk indicates that this should be this should get an italics tag. Two asterisks mean that it should be a bold tag. Um, a blank line between two other two non-blank lines means that there's a paragraph break, and so on. And that works quite well because you you look at Markdown, and if you didn't know that it was destined for a processor, you would think that it was just a highly structured plain text document. Someone was very consistent in how they wrote. So rather than giving a URL and then sometimes in parentheses putting the, the 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 actual URL that you need to navigate to and then other times just putting the URL in the text and then other times putting a URL and then after that in parentheses sort of the thing that the URL is meant to convey and so on someone the writer of this the author of this document of this imaginary document put in square brackets the text that they mean to be hyperlinked and then the URL afterwards in print, that sort of thing. Nobody really has that kind of discipline when they're not thinking about it, and so Markdown kind of came around and said, well, now we're going to think about it. We're going to be very intentional, as they say, about this process. You want to represent this thing? Here's how you do that. And it really works. It works really, really well. Well enough, anyway. Obviously, some of the more complex structures uh, don't necessarily work all that well. The, the tables are famously abysmal in uh, Markdown, but then again, they're abysmal in HTML as well, so it's not really that big of a deal, I guess. Uh, but the parsing of Markdown can be difficult. Like I say, there are, there are things intermixed into your plain text that are secret Markdown codes, and sometimes you might accidentally use a secret Markdown code in your plain text when you don't mean for it to be a Markdown code, and then what do you do? That can get a little bit annoying. Or sometimes the parser doesn't detect your secret markdown code and interprets it as plain text instead, and, and so then it doesn't render the way that you meant for it to render. And, that, and that's annoying as well. So ASCII doc, and, and to a lesser degree RST, restructured text for, for Python Sphinx, for the Python docs. But uh, ASCII doc sort of sought to, I mean, really, if you if you look at it, to me, I don't know what the project goal was at the time, but to me, it looks like a re-implementation of Markdown. It looks like the same, the same theory in practice by a different group. And it is great at, at being structured. Just, you know, you probably... I think arguably better than Markdown, um, probably maybe the same as Common Mark, but um, it it the 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 significant thing. Well, I guess one significant thing is that to me it doesn't look quite as natural. There are some things to me that I think, well, maybe we could have used the Markdown version of that convention, such as the URL, the way that you put a URL into the text. In Markdown, the syntax is square bracket example close square bracket parentheses http colon slash slash example dot com close parentheses that to me looks relatively natural it's a little bit weird to have the square the square brackets in there i'll admit we don't generally like if you're reading text in a book and you see square brackets it often it's often an indicator of extra information rather than the continuation of a sentence and so when you're reading markdown and you look at for more information see this square bracket square bracket you might think oh that's weird extra information about something else and then it's it's actually the 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 ending of the sentence see this example and then the url so that that feels a little bit weird but 
compare it to the ASCII doc version, which is HTTP colon slash slash example dot com square bracket example close square bracket. Now that to me looks almost like the contents of the square bracket, which again suffers the same problem, it's in square brackets, but to me that looks like it's part of the URL. That's confusing. At a glance that is very confusing. Now there's no space between the example.com and the square bracket example close square square bracket. So in theory, I guess you're supposed to interpret it as kind of one entity. But you know, I mean, these are all sort of these are these are personal preferences and and subject to a lot of interpretation. And I will say that overall, if you look at the ASCII doc specification over well, certainly the Markdown specification, but but even compared to the Common Mark specification, I I gotta say ASCII Mark is it's got a lot more going on. It's it's got it's a, I would say a lot more complete. And and I think it strikes an interesting balance between that kind of explicit syntax that I think is important versus sort of that arbitrary, loose sort of nod towards the syntax that something like Markdown uses. Um, is ASCII doc necessarily better than, say, restructured text? I don't know. I think that would be that would be an interesting debate to have um, with one's self. I don't think that it's necessarily a debate worth having with someone else. I mean, unless you're having that debate. But, I mean... You know, it's it's all good, right? I mean, it's it's markup languages or markdown languages rather. They're they're minimal. It's minimal syntax, relatively minimal syntax to to remember, and it doesn't interfere with the 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 raw text. It's still very readable by humans, but it's also easily parsed by computers, and that's what we're going for here. Now, the cool thing about ASCII doc is that when you send it off for processing, it actually transforms all of that ASCII doc text that you wrote into docbook, and then it operates off the docbook to produce whatever output format you have declared that you want. Super, super cool, because docbook is a format, as I've said, that I trust a lot. And now I think I trust that it's time for coffee. A lot of coffee. <laughs> I've got my coffee. Hopefully you've got your coffee. I gave you as much time as I always give you, so you should have had plenty of time. Um, I've got my my trusty Greek coffee, which frankly I'm a little bit nervous about at this point because um, I'm on my last bag and I no longer live in the big city where Greek coffee is sold at the Greek store. I don't know where I'm going to get it around around this this small town that I now live in. So hopefully I'll be able to mail order it or something, but um, man, is it good. If you haven't had it, and I think in previous episodes I've explained Greek coffee, you may also know it as Turkish coffee, you may also know it as Russian coffee. I've heard it referred to by several different uh, regions as sort of their coffee. 
So it's just, I think it depends on who introduced you to it, but it is good stuff. It's definitely, um, I guess it's an acquired taste. I don't mean that in the sort of, you know, the backhanded kind of almost disparaging way. I I, I just mean it, it. it is an acquired taste. It is different than what you will be used to if you are used to just kind of European or American coffee. All right, so the first command on this list is, and this is in Linux doc-tools, first one in the bin folder. There's a bunch of um, configuration files, which I probably won't talk too much about, but I might hit on at some point because some of these do happen to refer to them. So the first one on this list is A2X. That's A and then the number 2 and then the letter X. A2X. It is a toolchain manager for ASCII doc, so it converts ASCII doc text files to other file formats. I kind of want to make this into um, an, an analogy to, or a simile maybe, I'm not sure. I want to compare this to Groffer, G-R-O-F-F-E-R, which you may remember from a couple episodes back when I was doing, you know, lots and lots of shows about the Groffer toolchain. This, I think, is is a little bit akin to that, where whereby you are able to invoke this command and kind of let it do um, a lot of the, the the thinking for you. It it'll kind of figure out what it needs to invoke in order to get you from A to well X. Oh, A, A to X. I get it now. Yeah, that's clever. Um, so yeah, I'll do go to my demo folder here, and it seems that I have an example A doc file. ASCII docs can be named anything, really, because it is just plain text, but a con- common convention is .adoc, adoc. You could also call it .ascii doc or .doc, I guess, if you wanted to. That might be confusing to a lot of people because they'll be accustomed to that being a, an, a, an office, a, a Microsoft Office file. But I mean, you can you can call it whatever you want to. And um, it's like, I mean, if you look at the, the text, it, it looks very much like plain text. It's, it's quite beautiful. You wouldn't know that this was a markup language. It's, it's really, really, I have to say, I've, since I started using ASCII doc, I, I definitely have, I, I acknowledge that it is a nice, a nice little syntax. So uh, if I do A2X and then I do, uh, I'm going to do dash dash help because I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. So if I do dash dash format, that's what it was, dash dash format, uh, we could do, let's do, I don't know, dash dash format, something simple. Let's do just HTML to start with. Is that a is that a choice? No, that's not a choice. Uh, chunked, that's what it's called, chunked. Actually, I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to do XHTML. So XHTML is my format, and then I give it the source file, which is, in this case, example.adoc, and hit return, and then at the end of that process, I have example HTML, and if I look at that file, uh, I can see. I think, I, I think there's a, I think there's an argument that this is some of the cleaner HTML that I've seen from a from an auto parser. It's not perfect by any means. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I would look at this and think, oh, human definitely wrote that. I'm, it's not quite at the, on that level. I could probably run it through a pretty printer or something and and make it look a little bit better. Um, but I, I don't I don't feel like that's super important right now. But let's see. I'm gonna open up in Conqueror example.html just to kind of see what it looks like from from a web browser from a rendering point of view. And it is quite nice. Uh, I mean, it's not like the most beautiful thing you'll have ever seen, but it is really nice. I have to say the 
the default CSS files for this stuff. It's just really, really nice. And if you look in the package that we are talking about right now, you'll see that in slash Etsy slash ASCII doc slash style sheets, you have a bunch of different style, uh, a bunch of different CSS style sheets here governing what your rendered product looks like after you after you run it through for instance a2x and i mean right there honestly that's kind of one leg up on on pure docbook the pure docbook style sheets i don't think people are going to accuse them of being overly pleasant to look at anytime soon i i with apologies to the docbook team and whoever put those style sheets together i'm not saying they look bad i'm just saying I don't think they're going to be accused of being overly stylish by any means. Okay, so uh, let's see what's what's a good one to try next. Oh, actually, what we should do is what we'll see. Let's let's watch it fail. So we'll do a2x dash dash format PDF. Give it example dot a doc, and it appears to work at first initially, um, but then it fails. It, it it stops processing and complains about not having something called DB Latex. DB Latex is a uh, a convert. Uh, I guess yeah, like a conversion program that goes from DocBook DB docbook to latex and then from latex there are engines to convert to pdf latex to pdf that 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 seems to be a very very common conversion point that it seems to be i mean that's just that's an engine that is quite well known if you use pandoc at all you know that 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 uses the latex that latex pdf engine seems to work really well me as a docbook guy my my typical workflow is not db latex i don't go out to latex nothing against latex it's just the way that i learned docbook was to use xslt proc to produce an fo file and then from fo use a program from apache called fop that takes the fo file and converts it to a pdf and that seems to work pretty well for me i'm, I'm quite happy with it so that's what i'm used to um, db latex is kind of a new a new toy for me that I'm not really super accustomed to, but I'm gonna do this again. Example, oh, so I should say, if you're on Slackware, you can install DB Latex from slackbuilds.org. It is maintained currently, at least, by Vincent Batts, a really, really great contributor to Slackware. He maintains so many essential packages. It's, it's uh, really cool. He's also a really nice guy. He's a really fun guy. Uh, I've met him at conferences. Um, and so you can just install db latex from slackbuilds.org that'll grab the stuff that it needs and then after that you can run a2x dash dash format pdf example.adoc and what do you know at the end of that process you have example.pdf the pdf that it renders is quite nice it looks a little bit pandoc-ish i guess i mean Pandoc, I think, goes a little bit overboard with their with the size of their margins and stuff, and I, I I really actually quite like this one a little bit better. Um, this has this kind of assumes a bunch of preamble material, like there's a whole blank page here, and then a revision history page that that is also blank, and then finally a table of contents, which you know I didn't really ask for, and then and then the and then the actual one page thing that, that i i meant to render so that's a little bit of a surprise if you're not expecting it now the reason it's doing that is because it is defaulting to 
an article doc type. And if you're if you're familiar with doc book um, uh, conventions, or, or it's not really just a convention, it's it's the the different kinds of documents that doc book knows how to produce. There's there's article, man page, and book. And article kind of gives you the two leading pages. And then your your art no two two leading pages the table of contents and your and then your article the the document with text on it the book does the two leading pages and then a table of contents and then uh, your your text but it it also it it adds in chapter chapter headings you could populate those two lead-in pages by providing author information at the top of your your ASCII doc source file there's a, a whole block of sort of boilerplate variables really that you can create at the top of your ASCII doc document and then and then DB Latex and and A2X would know what to use in order to make those lead-in pages actually, I don't know, meaningful. You could also um, not use DB Latex for your PDF rendering. So you could do A2X dash dash format space PDF dash dash FOP and then it uses instead of using db latex it uses fop which is what i'm used to and that produces a um what i would say uh is a familiar docbook pdf that that to me looks exactly like what i would get out of docbook it has again this is the article it defaults to articles so this gives me a table of contents and then the 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 start of my my article in 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 term in its terms uh, immediately thereafter and it also has some fop conventions which uh turns on some parameters such as if there is a a url then show the url in brackets after the word that it um, the, the, after its hyperlink. So, for instance, if I have example, it, it, it would show square brackets example.com close square brackets, and both of those would be clickable. Now, if you don't want that to be the case, you there's a parameter setting for that for XSLT proc. You can add that into your FOP options, I think, uh, and that would take it away. So, there's you know, it, it kind of depends on, on on which of the two evils you want to go with. Um, and by two evils, I really just mean you know there are there are defaults. There there are things that it figures it has to make a choice about, and and so it makes a choice. And if you want to change that, then you do. You you have to get into the um, into the specifics. You have to start changing things out from under it, and that can be complex. But I mean, so can DocBook, right? And so can I don't know throwing markdown at pandoc if it makes a choice that you don't want then you may have to follow up and change some configurations or make some changes to a style sheet or or whatever until you get it to exactly what what you prefer and you know that's a choice that you make do you want to just settle for the defaults or do you want to change it around either way you have to you have to look you have to you have to make a choice. You have to make some decisions. You have to look up something that you may not have known before and um, and alter it in whatever way you want it to. Okay, so that is um, I think that's A2X really. I, I can't. I'm not seeing anything else here. There. Well, there's an option to not do an XML lint. So dash dash no dash XML lint does not check the ASCII doc output. That is the doc book version of what you feed A2X with XML lint. I don't know why you would want that, but maybe there's an error that gets thrown at some point and you think, oh, I'd better try this without XML lint to see if maybe 
that's the problem. Maybe the XML being rendered is incorrect or something like that. Maybe there's a there's some reason. I don't know. I've never seen that, but then I'm I'm still quite new to ASCII doc, really. I've just I've only only recently started using it uh seriously. Uh there is also um keep artifacts dash dash keep dash artifacts and that ensures that temporary build files are not deleted. So if you do that and run A2X to, to really any format, you get some really interesting artifacts that, that are kept, including example.xml, which is the, the doc book. That's the, the conversion of your ASCII doc into DocBook. So that's cool. Um, if you look far enough back in GNU World Order, you'll find a system that I had created. No, I didn't. Did I create it or did I modify it? I think I probably modified I, I mean, I know I modified a script. Either way, however you interpret it, I was, I was um, a fan of of writing essentially plain text in a relatively structured manner and then running it through this processor this uh, text to xml pro or no i think it was text to docbook processor and it converted a bunch of stuff and inserted a bunch of tags and um, made your 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 document suddenly into docbook and it was really pretty good it was pretty useful actually wasn't as good as ascii doc by any means but it was the same idea and that's what this is this is this is ascii doc running it through a2x with a keep artifacts flag you get to see the docbook that 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 process created you can also see, since I did, I happened, the, the most recent one I did was the dash dash fop PDF um, output. So I get the example.fo file, which is a horrendous file to look at. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm pretty used to fo files now because I've, I've used docbook long enough. It is a absolutely horrendous file, though everything's on, not everything, practically everything is on one line all this all the styling and the these fo objects and stuff or these formatting objects the fo um elements that's what i meant to say elements it's on one line and it's just it's big it's it is really dense it's really difficult to parse but i mean if you want to see what's going on then then you get to see that there with the keep artifacts that that's the stuff this stuff you would you would get yourself with xslt proc if you were processing raw doc book but we're not we're using a2x and so if you need to be a little bit more um, introspective into what this thing is doing that's the way to that's that's a way for you to do that there's another way and that is the next item on our list it is called ascii doc a s c i i d o c it's a python script so this is the um this is analogous to markdown.pl the original aaron schwartz file perl script that converts markdown to html that that was markdown it was the script and it was the syntax markdown well this is the script ascii doc Dot pi. This is a script, a Python script, to convert an ASCII doc text file to HTML or docbook. So you, you run it by doing ASCII doc. Actually, you know what? I'm going to clean up this demo folder a little bit by... Uh, how am I going to... How can I do this quickly? You know what someone needs to do? And this is right off the top of my head here. Someone needs to come up with a function that is essentially move everything to to the trash except this this one file i think that would be really handy all right i'm almost there there we go everything but the a doc is gone now 
So I can do ASCII doc and then example.adoc, and just moments later it produces example.html for me. And I can look at it a little bit more verbose um, than the, well, it's not more verbose, it's more in line than the A2X conversion. In other words, you see all the CSS here in this one file. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, it is a thing. It's, it's, that's how that implements it. I don't, personally prefer to have my style in the same file. I just, I find that a little bit annoying when I'm, when I'm looking at the files, but I also see the advantage to that because after all, sometimes you do want it in one file because then wherever that file goes, the style is sure to follow. There's no question about that. And that can be useful sometimes. Now this command promised us HTML or docbook and it's just produced html by default well that's because its back end is set to default to html by default so if you do ascii doc dash dash back end docbook and then point it to example.adoc it produces a file called example.xml and once again there's my docbook um, my, my docbook version of this of this article and again I'm, I'm saying article because that's the that's the the docbook element or the the docbook um yeah, element that that it 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 sees this document as it's an article article info here's the date title author and then paragraphs so this is the exact same output as far as i can tell from as a2x there are other backends that you can you can shoot for for instance there's the html5 there's a slidey if you want to create uh, a slideshow like a html slideshow i think it is uh, html4 WordPress, I don't even know what that is. H I mean I know what WordPress is, but I don't know what the what that would produce. XHTML, Docbook, HTML, uh oh Docbook 4.5 or 4.5, that's the previous version of Docbook. And there are a couple of different options in there to modify, I don't know, to point to different plugins and different style sheets and so or actually themes I think and so on. But um you you get the idea. It's a conversion program. You can get in there and change things if you want or you can use the defaults, it's all up to you. Next on the list is collateindex.pl. It's a Perl script. Um, this is not well documented, I wouldn't say. Uh, it turns out that in order to view the documentation, you type in Perl doc and then collateindex.pl. I'd never heard of Perl doc before. I've, I've used a little bit of Perl. I mean, I've, ne I've never written Perl actually, but I've, well, I, I might have written like a line of Perl or something, but um, I haven't really worked with Perl, but I've I've used things that have used Perl, and I've never heard of Perl doc. That was just something that had escaped. I've heard of CPAN, I've heard of Perl, never Perl doc. So Perl doc space collate index dot PL, it gives you for the what, so something that looks for all the world like a man page to me. I don't know why I couldn't have just typed in man collate index.perl but i guess that's not how that works so collate index.pl it generates docbook index files now when i saw that i thought well that sounds neat that sounds like a a thing that like scans your text and figures out sort of like what your text is about and and figures out what needs to be indexed and then produces an index for that text that is not what collate index does i'm still not sure what collate index does it if you if you execute it with collate index dash capital n for new index i guess uh, there are no long options so it's just dash capital n uh, and then i guess i don't know if i have to actually give it anything else no you don't just dash capital n and you get um 
it's a standard out unless you redirect it. Um, index in a tag, two comments, one that says this file was produced by collateindex.pl, and then the other, remove this comment if you edit this hand by file, uh, this file by hand, and then close index tag. So it is very much an empty index document, meaning it has an open and a close index tag. Like that's that's it. That's all it has. Uh, we can do dash t for title and give it a, a, a title. So I'll just do my index. And now I've got again just a blank index with with no title. It's just index tag close index tag. Okay. So not not really getting a whole lot of of useful sort of in, information here. Um, but at the end of collateindex.pl, it says the file containing the index data generated with the docbook DSSSL HTML style sheet, usually called html.index. So this is part of an older workflow that I've never used and I don't know a whole lot about, but it seems that there was a conversion process going from docbook to HTML that produced something called html.index, which presumably picked up a bunch of index references in your docbook source code and kind of put them into one place. Collate index.pl, I, I believe, takes all of that information and, and well, collates it into into one file that I guess you're supposed to publish along with your sources, or, or rather, along with your renders. So I don't, this, the documentation of this script is not complete enough for me to understand what exactly it's trying to give me, or what I'm supposed to do with the thing that it produces. Uh, just an open index and a closed index tag, to me, says that it's uh, some kind of XML element, because I don't know those as HTML element, but then where does that fit into your build of your docbook sources? Either way, the way that I build my docbook sources are that I have um, a table of contents file, or, you know, just the file, right, like book.xml, and in that I open up my document, I define it as a book, put in my header or my, you know, my metadata, the author and the copyright date and the license, the Creative Commons license information and so on. And then I start, I, I start the, the, the book element or, or rather the, um, I close the header information, the book info stuff and start the, the contents of the book. And the way that I do that is with what's called a Zy include or an X include. I don't really know how to say it. No one probably does, but it's a XI colon include. It's um, an XML element from an XML uh, library that lets you just list the location of a file, and it'll kind of, during processing, it'll grab that file and stick the contents of that file exactly where that line was. So it's a really handy way of kind of doing, I guess you could call them snippets, but I don't use them for snippets, I, I use them for full chapters. And this is something that I've seen done in, in all the professional settings that I've worked with DocBook in, so I that that's how I learned it. I didn't come up come up with that on my own by any means. So it's it's a pretty typical thing. You have to then, you do have to enable Zyinclude processing in your processor, uh, or else it'll just, it'll build your book with links to files that, you know, don't really exist wherever you're going to publish your stuff. So you, you want to do the Zyinclude processing so that it pulls that code in and kind of builds a big, big mega temporary file with all your with, with all your files in one place. Uh, but th that works quite well. I've I've done it that way forever. I've never done it with um, this other way. 
And so I don't know, you know, for, for that, I just put index elements in my docbook and docbook, the, the processor, XSLT proc, just takes the docbook sources and it parses all the index information and builds the index from that. So I feel like this is probably an outdated script, but quite possibly it's a vital quintessential script that people can't live without in some workflow somewhere. So um, I don't know. I, I do not believe it's an important thing to to understand, though, because in real life, you're, you're probably not going to use collateindex.pl. You're just going to use a processor that will understand all that index stuff for you. Again, could be that the processor, when generating HTML, drops index stuff, and so you need collate index to gather all that index information so you can publish it along with your HTML stuff, whereas for XML and PDF output and EPUB output, it just kind of works. I don't know. I'm not sure. But it, it has definitely not been necessary for me. The next big bulk of, of entries are docbook to X. Uh, for some reason, the naming convention changes, or maybe I'm confused about the origin of some of these, but three of them are db2x underscore something, like man xml, taxi xml, xslt proc, and then all the others are doc book to dvi, to html, to man, to pdf, and so on. So you kind of get the, the, the gist of, I think, all of those. They're doc book converters that take docbook files, so it's going to end in .xml, not a doc. These aren't ASCII docs anymore. These are the docbook sources, which you could get by either writing it yourself in, in docbook or writing it in ASCII doc and then using either um, ASCII doc or, or A2X, uh, dash dash keep dash artifacts, and, and producing docbook, a, a docbook file. So you can feed these commands a docbook file, a valid docbook file, and it will convert it into something else for you. Not sure uh, that I would really use any of these myself, but I think in terms of are you looking for that sort of pandoc experience, these are kind of that. These are really nice. These are, are really quick and easy converters for, you know, all the common targets. Like you want a PDF, you want an HTML, you've got a quick plain text, TXT, you've got all the commands right here ready to go. So I'm going to start with db2x underscore xslt proc because it kind of gives you an idea of, of, how it, of how it goes. It's db2x underscore xslt proc. Now, XSLT proc is an XML and, well, it's, it, it is a thing that applies a style sheet, an XSL style sheet, to an XML file. That's what XSLT proc does. It comes installed on Slackware already as a humble little component of libxslt. I think. And it's in user bin, XSLT proc. You'd never know it was there if you weren't looking for it. And you're still not looking for it, but you are invoking it through db2x underscore XSLT proc. And then you, you, you tell it where the style sheet is. So dash dash style sheet. Now, for that to be meaningful, you need to have a style sheet. Now, I happen to have a bunch of them lying all over the place. So I'm going to use this docbook XSL 1.79.1 slash website slash website dot xsl and then i'll give it the source document which is uh, example dot xml now there's a bunch of xsl style sheets also in this package i think so you wouldn't have to have your own necessarily lying around i could be lying maybe those are just the css files i feel like there would have to be the xsl files somewhere in this package for docbook to reasonably be expected to work but it could simply be that those are included in the docbook package instead 
I think that's probably what it is. Okay, so you kind of would need your own style sheet lying around, I guess. It, well, you wouldn't, but for where we are in this progression, you you would. Um, but you pointed at an XSL style sheet, you pointed at your source uh, document, and then by default it just outputs it to your terminal. And in this case, it's applied a style, it's converted everything to HTML in a nice, presumably pretty kind of um, web page with all the correct HTML markup. If I wanted that to produce uh, a file for me, I could use dash dash output and tell it just to dump everything in, for example, h uh, example.html. Oh, no, that didn't work. Hold on. Maybe I got the, maybe I got the uh, dash dash output incorrect. Maybe that was for some other command. No, it claims that should have worked, but it failed. So what I'm going to do is cheat and just redirect to example.html. And there it is. There's my HTML, more or less. It doesn't actually have HTML tags around it, which I think would not be optimal, um, but that's that's a good start anyway. So anyway, this is a front end. This particular version of this command is a front end uh, to XSLT proc. So you can, you can pass almost all of the same options. Well, I don't know if that's fair, but a lot of the same options that you would recognize from XSLT proc if you were an XSLT proc user, you can pass to this. So for instance, dash dash include, you can do that. Um, dash dash param, and then some key and value uh, pair so that you can pass um, XSLT parameters through to XSLT proc. I'm not immediately seeing the benefit of this wrapper. Like this, this to me is such a, just a bare wrapping around XSLT proc. I'm not entirely sure what the what the added value is here. Like honestly, like the XSLT proc syntax is not all that different from from what the db2x XSLT proc syntax is. You you issue XSLT proc some optional um options, some non-required options. Uh, you point it at the style sheet, so there's not even a dash dash style sheet, you just point it to the style sheet, and then you point it to your source file or a set of source files, and and that's it. So I'm really not too sure, and, and if you want to add parameters, you can do dash dash param, do that all the time. Uh, dash dash output, for to, you know, to specify what your output file ought to be. Uh, dash dash include to to resolve all the XI elements in, in your document. So yeah, it's it's very, very, just just barely a wrapper around XSLT proc. I don't see what it's bringing that XSLT proc naturally doesn't bring. So let's, let's give a quick try for doc book. Well, actually, let me get back to my demo folder here and let's get rid of all the false documents that we don't need. Actually, I'm gonna need that doc book source. Okay, so I'm going to do a doc book to HTML example.xml that throws it through a couple of different processors and spits out at the end t1.html. So if I look at t1.html, I see that I now have, yep, I've got an HTML document that is uh, valid. It's pretty rough, I, I gotta say, it's not beautiful, but uh, once you render it, yeah, it looks nice. It's perfectly, perfectly acceptable, actually. Um, and that was, that was doc book to HTML. And you know, you, you've got a bunch of different options here. I mean, there's docbook to PDF, docbook to .txt, docbook to man, docbook to PS, and so on. So this is a lot like the Groff tool chain. There's just a bunch of little converters that are really sort of thin wrappings around commands that you may or may not be, be accustomed to. And if you're not, then these are great. This will do it for you. You don't have to worry about it. And that's great. I mean, ASCII doc and docbook, between those two and a couple of converters, you've got a really, really easy workflow, uh, an easy set of tools 
to get you from plain text, archival quality, documentation of whatever it is, whether it's a fictional work, a work of fiction, a work of technical documentation, or something else entirely. You've got this great archive quality plain text that humans can read and computers can parse reliably and easily and the tools that you need to convert them to common format so that you can distribute it to people in in the formats that people expect or, or people want. It's a fantastic little tool chain. I highly recommend looking at it. Uh, if you can't find Linux doc-tools anywhere uh, sort of as a package, I think you can, but if you can't, that's fine. Just Remember ASCII doc and it's it's the, the the tool chain that comes along with it. It's a it's something to look into. It is it is a nice system. It gets you really good results for very little effort. Certainly compared to to raw docbook, but but even to something that you know something enviable like Markdown or or RST. I would even argue maybe easier than RST. But, but certainly just as easy as, as Markdown paired with, for instance, Pandoc. So if you're looking for something nice, take a look at ASCII-Doc. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next week. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Church of the fill-in-the-blank. Friends and neighbors out there listening tonight, we hope that you're putting your hands on the radio and getting the full impact of this message is coming down to you.